I'm Danette Lowe, founder of True North Wealth Management and your host. Welcome to a fresh episode of Ready to Retire. If you're starting to think about retirement, wondering if you've saved enough and want to learn more about how everything fits together, you're in the right place. On this show, I'll tackle complicated financial topics and break them down into easy to understand concepts. If you're ready to live an amazing life filled with family, friends, travel, and interesting experiences, you're in the right place. Are you ready to retire? Let's go. Hello and welcome. Danette here. In today's episode, we're going to tackle a very tricky subject, and that is the subject of biases. Today, we're going to cover confirmation bias, loss aversion bias, sunk cost bias, omission bias, and hindsight bias. These are just a few of the many different types of biases that exist, and I chose these specifically because I see the effect on the way people make decisions related to their money, their financial decisions. And hopefully, by having awareness around them, it will help you, the listener, make better financial decisions. Let's start with a quick story about a class I took a couple of years back on the subject of biases. I have a friend, her name is Angela Sarver, and at our conferences, I always tried to attend her classes. She has the most lovely speaking voice of any presenter I've ever heard. I just love hearing her speak. And I always find that her classes are are packed full of great information. So a while back, she gave a speech called 30 Biases You've Never Heard Of, or something along those lines. Now, I consider myself open-minded, compassionate, sensitive, and I really had a misconception about the word itself. I really thought biases applied to other people, that I didn't have biases. I was modern thinking, so I was really surprised at how many of the biases she listed in her presentation that I found myself identifying with. As Angela started down her list, I was so shocked. I could see myself, my behavior, my actions in just about every single type of bias she listed. My mind was blown and like my granddaughter uses the term, not in a good way. I was really surprised at how many biases there are. If you look it up, you know, you'll get the list of 60 biases, 90 biases. After I heard her presentation, I thought, well, if I have biases that I'm not aware of, then it must be true for everyone else. Biases are a way for us to shortcut the decision-making process. They are a filter that helps us quickly decide how to act. The problem is that some of these programs, some of these biases are running in the background of our awareness, and we might not even be aware of them. Let's start by talking about confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is where we screen 
everything we hear against our pre-existing belief system, our own beliefs about what is true. And when we hear someone talking about a subject, any subject, if we already agree with what that person is saying, then we think, yeah, that person is smart, that person is clever, that person is right. We like what we are hearing. If someone else we hear is talking about the same subject but has an opposite viewpoint, we think that person is crazy. They don't know what they're talking about. They're uninformed. They are dumb. We think the people who agree with us are right and the people who disagree with us are wrong. And that's how it went for me. I learned about this concept of confirmation bias at this event. I was really asking myself, do I do that? Is that really true? Am I really screening everything I see against my own pre-existing belief system? And this is how it works. The very next day, I was watching an investment news show, and they had three people on the screen. The interviewer was in the middle, and the two guests, one on each side. And as you can guess, the guests had opposite viewpoints. So the first guest was going over their point of view, and I sat there in my office watching, agreeing, nodding. I thought he laid out a valid case and all was good. The next person laid out their take on the subject, and they're holding the opposite viewpoint, and and I'm la- I w- you should see how hard I was laughing as I was writing this, as I remember this, this afternoon. And I remember thinking how irresponsible it was of the news station to even let the other person speak. That what the person was saying was so far from the quote-unquote truth that they shouldn't even be allowed to speak on air. I remember thinking that, hey, people watch this show. What, what if they heard this other person talk and agreed with him? And, and boy, I just really laughed at myself because here it was, an absolute case of confirmation bias. I was doing exactly what Angela in her lecture suggested that we do in confirmation bias. So there's nothing wrong with confirmation bias. It's normal. But the problem is that's happening is today in our society, this idea of sticking with our existing belief system is becoming more amplified. We have news stations now that have built their platforms around different belief systems, meaning You can turn on the news and watch news that supports what you already believe to be true. We have social media sites that ask you to pick what you like, what do you agree with, and then they show you more content that reinforces what you already like and already believe. And the danger of this bias is that we can become polarized and we can move farther away from each other. And we're in danger of replacing curiosity with digging in our heels and wanting other people to agree with us instead of being curious and learning about what they might be believing in. Now, 
how does this affect our financial decision-making? Well, it turns out there's quite a bit. The first thing is we're in danger of surrounding ourselves with people who already agree with us, with people who have the same beliefs. So when we're faced with making a challenging decision, everyone in our circle of influence shares our belief pattern, then it's going to limit our possible options for solving whatever financial problem we're dealing with. Not that it isn't pleasant to call up a friend and know they're going to agree with you. I'm in several study groups, several financial advisor study groups, and I have one small study group. It's me and one other person, and he and I agree on everything. Every single subject we discuss, we agree on. And he and I even laugh and have said many times over the years, we could both be wrong, but it's comforting to know we agree with each other. On the other side of that, I'm in a study group with six other women financial advisors, and you would be hard-pressed to find a topic that all seven of us agree upon. And the benefit of that is when someone throws out a statement that you don't agree with, that you think is crazy, like, what was she thinking? But then, hey, we've been in this study group for almost 10 years, and she's smart, and now I'm curious. Why does she think that way? Why does she have that opinion? And by becoming curious and asking why, then I gain insight into a subject, and I can look at a subject from a new perspective. And now I've learned something, right? We are learning machines. We like to learn. And by hearing opinions that differ from ours causes us to learn and grow. It makes us become smarter. Even if you don't change your mind, it's okay. It's the fact that you considered and thought about something from a different viewpoint that creates your growth. So that's the first benefit. The second benefit comes from a study that tracks the success and longevity in retirement. They looked at a bunch of people and looked at who was the happiest, who was the healthiest, who lived the longest. And the number one factor, this is so interesting to me, the number one predictor of a long and healthy life was people who engaged in a lot of conversations with other people who have differing points of view. Let me say that again. If you have a lot of interactions with people who have a differing viewpoint, studies show that these people live longer, are healthier, and are happier in life. What can you do? How can you turn this bias to your advantage? The next time you're having a conversation with someone and you sense or maybe you know that they have a different viewpoint, try to think about this concept of confirmation bias and try to adopt a state of curiosity. Ask questions. Try to understand why the person has a differing viewpoint. Try to find out why they think the way they think. What's behind their thought processes? You don't have to change your mind, and you don't have to convince them to take your side. That's a waste of energy. But I promise you, if you adopt a position of curiosity that you will benefit from it. And recognizing that confirmation 
bias has a tendency to narrow our viewpoint as opposed to expanding it. Let's move on now and talk about loss aversion bias. Loss aversion bias. Of course, we don't like to experience losses. But what loss aversion bias refers to is the fact that we are disproportionately more upset by a loss than we enjoy our gains, meaning we are more bummed out by losing something than we are happy about gaining something. If we find a $10 bill, we're like, cool, awesome, yeah, great. But if we lose the same $10 bill, oh, we beat ourselves up. We're devastated. We're mad. We feel like failures. Like, We should have done something different. It's the same $10 bill we found a few minutes ago, but the loss we feel is disproportionately greater than the joy we received at the gain. So what does this have to do with investing and financial planning? There are two main ways we see this show up as investors. The first is how we react when the stock market is down. And the second is our decision to hold on to an investment because we don't want to pay taxes if we sell. Let's first talk about a downturn in the stock market. Over the past several months, the stock market has been down and no one is happy, right? No one likes to see their statements come in with a lower balance. This is loss aversion bias. If we consider the previous two years, we've seen the stock market hitting all-time highs, and that feels good. But in the short term, when we compare the high value of our accounts to the recent low value, that feels miserable. In fact, it freaks us out. It makes us want to do something, like sell when the market is down. That's loss aversion bias. If we look back at our accounts over the past two years and our balance is higher today than it was then, that feels fine, but it's just not as high as it was at the peak of the current cycle. So we're looking through a lens of a specific time period and the feeling of loss is magnified and greater than when you previously gained the same amount of money. So let's put some numbers to this. Let's say, hypothetically, your portfolio was worth $500,000 two years ago, and yesterday it was worth $540,000. So in two years' time, your portfolio grew by a total of 8%. If you only looked at those two numbers, you would feel great. You gained $40,000 over a two-year period during a global pandemic, right? You'd feel great. But we don't feel great because six months ago, the portfolio was 600,000. And now we think we've lost 60,000 because we're only comparing the portfolio from 600,000 to yesterday's value of 540. And that's why loss aversion is just something to recognize that this happens in so many ways where it just it, we feel worse by a loss than we do by gains. And to talk through how this works in our current system, 
What happens is that there are sophisticated computer models that predict this behavior in us. They know that we have a tendency, our financial behavior is to sell low and buy high, which is the opposite, right, that we want to be doing. So these computer programs go in and sell more, which causes the market to go in lower, and then we get more upset, and then we sell, and so forth, until the selling stops. That's when the market bottoms out, and then it begins to stabilize, and then it starts to come back. Think about this concept of loss aversion during a market downturn. Now, what about a market upturn? What about when the stock market is rising? How can we have loss aversion bias happening in the good times of the stock market? Well, that happens because we don't want to sell an investment that has made a lot of money because we might have to pay a portion of that gain for income taxes. Paying income taxes is a form of loss aversion bias. Let's put some dollars to this example. Let's say you have an investment that has gained $100,000 over the time that you owned it. Let's also say, for simplicity's sake, that when you sell, the income tax due would be $20,000. On one hand, your investment gained $80,000. That's $100,000 of gain minus $20,000 for taxes leaves you a profit of $80,000. But what happens is that we are so focused on not wanting to pay the 20000 that a lot of people won't sell the investment to begin with. Let me know if that has ever happened to you. And this is classic loss aversion. What can happen is one of two things. The investment that you won't sell because you don't want to pay the taxes continues to grow and you continue to own it and it has an even higher potential income tax liability or what's worse sometimes is the investment loses value goes back down in value and so now you no longer have a gain you don't have a tax problem either but you also gave up your gain put another way our financial decision to sell an investment either in securities or real estate, should be based on the investment itself and not the tax consequences. If we sell something at a gain and don't have something to offset with a loss, we're still ahead. Keep this idea of loss aversion bias in mind as you're analyzing your investments, either up or down. The next one I want to talk about is sunk cost bias. Sunk cost bias is our cost that we've invested in something. Our cost in terms of actual money or time or energy when we're working on something, and especially when we've put a lot of time, energy, and money into it. It's really hard to cut ties and end the situation. Because we're thinking about our sunk costs, how much we've already invested in the project or investment. It's similar to loss aversion in that we don't want to lose something. But where this gets us tripped up is that we continue to go down the path 
attached to this thing that we've invested time and energy into and maybe even adding more resources, more time, more energy, trying to salvage the effort we've already put in. In investing, we're often unable to sell an investment at a loss. Here, in sunk cost bias, we have an investment that has already had a loss of value, and we don't want to sell it and realize the loss. We think maybe it'll come back. One of the biggest financial traps we get into is when we go to sell something, and in our minds, we're considering how much we paid for the thing. We consider our cost, and our cost has nothing to do with the current market value of any investment, either investments or real estate. But oftentimes, we have our purchase price, our sunk cost in our mind, and it's affecting how we make the decision to sell something. Sunk cost bias also affects us in our relationships with our employees and our business adventures. Anything that we've invested time and energy into, it is hard to cut ties. I had a great example of this come up a few months ago. I'm a business owner, like many of you, and I had to hire an outside consultant to get a project done something that is outside of my area of expertise. And this project is a super high priority for me in my business. And so I went with a more expensive firm, thinking that the higher fee would generate a better outcome. In addition to the high financial price, I also invested a ton of time, way more time than I realized at the outset of the engagement. A lot of hours over several months. And things started to fall apart. It became apparent that my expectations were vastly different than what was actually going to happen. And it was really hard to make the decision to cut ties because I had such a high sunk cost. I knew that if I ended the project, I would never get back the time or money that I had spent. And it had a real impact on my decision. In fact, I prolonged the decision for several months because I had so much invested. And I kept hoping that maybe it would work out. And then to add insult to injury, when I finally cut ties with this consultant, I went through several weeks of beating up on myself. I blamed myself. I was ashamed that I let this happen. I really wasn't happy with myself. So you know the saying that when one door closes, another one opens, and this was totally the case for me in this situation. Once I closed the door with the consultant who wasn't performing, I then rather quickly found another consultant that is doing a good job. And then very quickly, I found three or four other projects on my list began to open up. And because now I had the time to focus on them. So I can say that when that one door closed, about five others opened. This podcast is a great example of something that's been high on my list for several years, and it was only after 
that I ended the one relationship that I was able to have the time to pursue this endeavor. And I'm so proud of it. And I'm having such a good time doing this. I have two more biases on my list for today's discussion. The first one is omission bias. Omission bias is the tendency to prefer no action in ourselves or others. We would prefer nothing over something that could potentially make things worse. And this is just our brain's fight, flight, or freeze mechanism kicking into action. We might think of ourselves as being adverse to change. We like to keep things as they are. Sometimes we say the devil you know is better than the one you don't. We see examples of omission bias, this tendency to prefer no action all the time. Have you heard someone say how much they can't stand their job, how much they dislike their boss or their coworkers? Why don't they quit and change jobs? Why stay working in a situation that you can't stand? And that's because we're generally, not everyone, not in all cases, but generally we have a tendency to shy away from change. And this omission bias, this tendency to do nothing, comes into play. In the financial arena, even though we want to make good decisions, we still have a tendency to make no decision. That is, not take any action because we're afraid of messing things up making a mistake. And sometimes the cost of doing nothing is actually higher than the potential mistake. How do we apply this in our daily lives? First and foremost, we have to have compassion for ourselves and confidence that we're going to make the best decision we can in the moment based on the information we have at the time. And if things eventually go sideways, it's still good because you made a decision to do something as opposed to doing nothing. I saw today one of my friends posted something about this very topic, and she made the comment that it looked like uh, that we could consider it like a redirect, just like our GPS on our car when we take a wrong turn We don't stop going to the place that we're going to. We just take another route, turn the car around, try something else. If you're feeling overwhelmed by something and you're not sure what to do, you might default into this bias and do nothing. So hopefully by having awareness around this will help you minimize this. Because certainly there are times when doing nothing is the best course of action But just be sure that you're not relying on it as a default. And that leads us to the final bias that we're going to talk about today, and that is hindsight bias. Hindsight bias is the tendency to judge outcomes that turn out poorly by blaming yourself and believing you made a bad decision, thinking that you should have seen it coming. It's exactly what I was talking about earlier. For several weeks after I ended that contract, I was beating myself up pretty badly. And it was because of hindsight bias. I was looking at myself and saying, I did this wrong. I did that wrong. How could I be so dumb? 
and then we lose confidence. And full disclosure here, this was not the first consultant I hired to do the project. This was actually the third consultant. And that's why I went for the pricier option, thinking in hindsight that maybe I hadn't spent enough before. Our minds really mess with us. In investing, we see it all the time. We look at an investment after we own it, after some time has passed, and if the investment went down, we think, oh, I shouldn't have bought that. I made a mistake. Or if the stock market goes down, we think, oh, I should have sold when the market was higher. Like anytime something doesn't turn out well or as predicted, we can experience hindsight bias. I've had numerous conversations over the years with clients who share a story about something that didn't go well. And every single time that person is beating themselves up, blaming themselves, shaming themselves, just like I did. And this is just our brain messing with us. Whenever we, any of us, whenever we make a decision, we do so with the intent of having some kind of improvement in our lives or the lives of our loved ones. We make decisions based on the available information at the time. So my advice here is to recognize hindsight bias as soon as possible and stop. I mean stop, don't engage. You can think of what you might be able to do better in the future. You can say, hey, I learned this lesson and that's it, drop it. If you're ruminating over a past decision, stop. It's a waste of time and energy. If something has already happened, then it's already happened. Agonizing over it will not change it. And beating yourself up is never a good idea. You are amazing, exactly as you are. Okay, I hope this has been helpful. I hope this has created awareness around some things that you might not have realized were there. These biases that we all have affect our financial decision-making, and I hope that by shedding light on them, we can minimize their impact in your life. I'll leave you with this quick story. My husband and I were having dinner last night, and he was asking me about this episode. What was it about? And I said, I'm going to be talking about biases and how they affect our decision-making. And I gave him the example of confirmation bias. I said, confirmation bias is where you screen what you hear against what you already believe to be true and that anyone who disagrees with you is wrong. And he says, yeah, that makes sense. I have a friend that has a different opinion than mine, and I think he's wrong. (laughs) And I said, yes, that's confirmation bias. And he said, but no. I have the facts. I'm right. And I said, no, that's just your opinion. Your friend also believes that they have the facts. That's confirmation bias. We had a good laugh, and so I wanted to share that with you. In our next episode, we're going to tackle the subject of paying off your mortgage. Should you do it? Yes or no? And if so, what are some ways to do it? There is no rule of thumb here. There is no one-size-fits-all answer to that question. So we're going to have a lot of fun with that one. Lastly, in our profession at this time, we're not allowed to turn on the comment section. But I do want to hear from you. 
I'm curious to hear if you're enjoying the topic, if you like to hear this topic, other topics, what other topics you might be interested in, and please email me, call me. I'd love to connect. You can find my contact info in the description, and I would really love to hear from you. I appreciate you and your time. I hope you have an amazing day. Thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to Ready to Retire. I'm your host and certified financial planning professional, Danette Lowe. For over 20 years, I've been helping busy professionals beautifully navigate the transition from working full-time and saving their money to confidently retire and live the lifestyle they've worked so hard to create. For more action items and help as you approach retirement, sign up for our newsletter at truenorthwealth.com. That's T-R-U North Wealth, all one word, dot com. I'll be back next time with more retirement planning fun. Have a wonderful day.